What's that noise? It's beard ASMR. Oh, not right. Okay. 12 hours beard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're back to 12 hours videos. That's, that's probably... That's what it always comes back to. <laughs> Steve, the Steam Times episode was voted one of the top five Simpsons episodes of all time. <laughs> and Monorail was in there as well. Monorail is brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Did you see the... Yeah, you probably showed it me, didn't you? Oh, the safe... Yeah, I've sold Agile to... <laughs> yeah, that's really... North Haverbrook and whatever the other yeah. places were. It's one of those... It's it's funny because it's true and also sad because it's true. Yes. And it's that fatalistic... Well, we need to laugh about it. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely it. There is a, a genuine funny because it's true way of being funny, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Rather than the this <laughs> we're doomed... So let's laugh in the face of our oncoming doom. Oh, we're doing the same thing again, and <laughs> it's not going to work. But, you know, we need to laugh about it. Well, so yeah. The death march misery of millions. So I'm always, my general opinion on such things is when companies say we're going to do this, they're always going to struggle because they never have the internal discipline to do most methodologies, right? So whenever I used to go to a new company when I was with the test people, it would always be like, well, they'll be like, well, we do scrum here or we do waterfall and then you look at what they actually do and they just do like multi-dimensional chaos yeah. and it's like well how do you expect to be able to perform any form of methodology when you just do chaos now you're just going to do chaos again <laughs> so but with different meeting names yeah yeah absolutely so it's like well rather than thinking about methodologies let's have a look at your chaos and see what's in there oh <laughs> But that's like the much more valuable way to, to start. Yeah, but nobody wants to look at their chaos, do they? No. People want to pretend their chaos is... Yeah. Part of the, the organisational healing process, the, the admission of chaos needs to happen. It's like, we need to say that we're not really in control of anything that we're doing. And we're just freewheeling towards our next big deliverable. And we'll do what needs to be done to get there. That may involve big design up front. It may involve iterating over things. But in general, we're just pretty much freewheeling. So let's, let's admit that. And sometimes when you do admit that, there's catharsis there as well. So it's like, well, actually, yeah, we are a bit chaotic, but we're not doing so bad. So hello, Ian. <coughs> oh, you cough. <laughs> and I've just blown my meters here as well. I'm going to turn myself down slightly. Right, okay. Oh, well, so it served a purpose then. <laughs> You'll turn myself down slightly. <laughs> hello, I'm Ian. Not... Oh, you stopped talking. <laughs> God damn it. We can't even say hello. We can. We can do this. We no, got this. We got We got this. And then we've got more, we've got loads of things to talk about and two things as well. Yeah. So, and we've not done hello. <laughs> right. I'm going to have a brief pause now. Okay. Hello, Ian. Hello, Ash. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about you? Yeah, very good. Very good. So, we're here again. We're here again. We always say that, don't we? We do. We Perhaps do. it's me that always says that. Yeah. Yeah. You always sound quite surprised as well. Yeah. That's because I've been party to the run up. The run-up? What's the run-up? The run-up is the stacking cushions around the room to uh, right, okay. absorb the stray echoes and putting up microphones and yeah. generally doing something, which yeah. seems to be the equivalent of a technology system that's strung together with bits of sellotape and string, and then it somehow works. Yeah, I'm familiar with all those things. Yeah? Yep. So that might explain the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel morally obliged to follow up on last episode's alexa skill ah. at that time i hadn't published it and then between 
recording the episode and releasing it. I polished it vigorously and then published it, although it was rejected by uh, Amazon the first time because, believe it or not, of a failed test. Failed tests. Testing always gets in the way of release, doesn't it? it it's so inconvenient. Yeah, absolutely. The test that failed would never have happened anyway. Of course. Because I was only going to publish it to the United Kingdom. So why would I make it be able to tell you gracefully when you were in a different country? Who thinks about error handling? It's just, just you know, just nitpicking. And no one's got time for that. No, no. So I was slightly inspired by Amazon's cruel rejection of my, uh, of my broken Alexa skill. So I fixed it and uh, polished it a bit more. And it's now up and running. And um, guess how many people have used it? More than zero? Actually, only just. <laughs> so one other person other than me has used it, according to its log files. And that person used it because I rang them up and asked them to. That's very direct marketing. Yes. Uh, um, so I think I've come up with uh, an Alexa skill that's extremely useful to an extremely small number of people. That's okay. And it's very hard to communicate or know who those people are. So maybe it will continue to have zero or maybe one reluctant <laughs> user. Well, there are quite a lot of filters on it. You have to use Octopus and... Uh, have that particular tariff. Have that particular tariff. So the, I guess it's targeted at a very particular group. It is, it is. It I'm, I'm not unhappy because the point of it was not to liberate people's electricity usage, although that is a nice side effect. The purpose of it was to learn how to do it. And I did that and uh, improve my code, which I did as well. So... So we Happy. shouldn't devalue the learning experience. No, because if we did, there'd be nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, please, someone use my Alexa skill. I'll publish a link to it in the. In the <laughs> I'll publish a link to it in the show notes, and then you can just use it to find out which would have been the cheapest two-hour slot for your um, for, for your electricity usage if you were only on the right tariff and the right electricity provider. Mm -hmm. Another bit of follow-up is that my friend, who I'm going to call Mark from Basingstoke, because I feel like that's how you should refer to It's like radio shows. That's how you should refer to <laughs> yeah. people's first name from place they come from. So Mark from Basingstoke did mention the very loud beeps in episode three, which I was talking about in the last episode right. as having been a slight audio glitch. And he says, nice beeps on episode three. Glass half full. I still have 50% hearing in my good ear. Mm -hmm. So wasn't just me. So does this mean you're going to go back and correct them in your perfectionist manner? I already did that. that but I just can't publish it, so <laughs> they may as well not have bothered. See, I, I think I, I was pleased to hear that piece of information that if we once we've published the uh, the episode between publishing and sharing, then uh, basically Ian cannot go back and start to edit things again, which <laughs> I feel is quite a Ian needs that particularly that that sort of powerful. Um, deadline or blocker to striving for perfectionism once that <laughs> once it's been once it's been uploaded then that's it we're done yeah, we are. no further twiddles can be made and we need that well ian needs that specifically i don't we're calling them twiddles now twiddles twiddles see i often say if i'm committing something to source control you know the where you you do your commit and then you, you push it up there and then you forget something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you put a really nice message on the first commit. And then on the second commit where you've forgotten something, usually I just put twiddles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because I, I have lots of examples of that in the commit chain for my Alexa skills. So yeah. Because I, I don't think I've put twiddles on any of them, though. Yeah, because you can always rebase, but I don't. 
that sounds like sort of git ninja yeah thing yeah so to, to be fair if i'm if, if this is if i'm working for a company i do rebase if it's on my own stuff i don't rebase i'm not that obsessed so that's given me something to do with my spare time now yeah to go absolutely. back and rebase all my small yeah twiddles yeah, as we're definitely. now calling them yeah cool so uh i apologize to your um your bad ear and your good ear mark for my terrible bleeps and i promise that future bleeps will be i'm tempted to swear now just so i can have a bleep but <laughs> i'm not going to future bleeps will be uh, marvelous and wonderful in ways that we cannot fathom we had a fan letter we did it was very exciting it was my head nearly exploded <laughs> so given my new policy of how to refer to people the fan letter was from mary from lancashire and we know it's a fan letter because it says it at the top yeah literally says this is a fan letter <laughs> and um there were many points of feedback in the fan letter there were and i feel we don't have time to highlight all of them the f- most useful piece of feedback in there was uh, please do more singing ash it wasn't singing it was kind of humming with some some melody perhaps when when your musical career kicks off into full flow and you're basically uh, some kind of rock star you will remember these beginnings yeah so it'll just be various mixes of the theme from dog tanyan and the three musker hounds <laughs> 12 yeah. hours worth <laughs> sorry well actually i think we have the wherewithal to do that today yeah or we just need a youtube channel yeah I, I see i don't know that that exists but i would i would put a reasonable amount of money on that existing no it definitely doesn't exist I'm talking about your version of it, not oh, my, not, not, their not, not the version that's already been done. No. If someone had already done a 12-hour version of the theme tune from Dog Tanning and the Three Musker Hounds, then I'd probably just leave it. But uh, I feel as though your rendition should be made into a 12-hour version. Could be. We could have some really interesting uh, visual effects. If only we had a YouTube channel. If only we did have a YouTube channel, which is apparently a very good idea. Should we get a YouTube channel? Yeah, I think we probably should. Do you think? What's well, we've got a, lot- a Google account, don't we? Yeah, we do. So we can have a YouTube channel. Yeah. There's already one waiting for us. Yeah. We just n- merely need to put the effort in. And hopefully no one's taken the name. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, we'll end up with another what a lot of thing or I don't think, I don't, what a lot of things or something like that. I honestly don't think my, uh, I think my circuits would overload if I got to say what a lot of thing twice in an episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, please do more singing. Mary also refers to our rambling waffle. Which we, I think is what we're doing now, as opposed to yeah. talking about the thing. Yeah. Um, which she describes as a soothing balm in a world of splintered fragments. So the rambling waffle is splintered fragment, but... Made into soothing balm. Made into soothing balm. So, to, to be honest, as far as feedback goes, I'm pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think there's, there's, there's room in the world for purposeless soothing balm. I couldn't possibly agree more. Yeah, because there's so much call for us to be purposeful that you know i enjoy a bit of purposelessness apart from the many jobs that i've had which when i look back they were purposeless but (laughs) but that's different well i guess as long as you got paid oh yeah (laughs) that's enough to uh, maintain the human spirit yeah yeah (laughs) yeah how depressing (laughs) well thank you very much mary from lancashire and mark from basingstoke thank you it's so nice to hear from you Sorry, that sounded really not that genuine. See, okay. he does he does really mean that. Yeah, I do. So I have a someone I used to work with could not give a genuine. He wanted to give genuine compliments about people's work, but he couldn't do it. <laughs> it would always sound really terrible. So someone would like 
I don't know, write some tests or something like that. And he'd be like, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, I really offend everyone, but I can't help it. I mean it. I was really pleased with that. I'm really pleased with that. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. I found it very entertaining. It reminds me of Father Ted. Yeah. yeah. The, the most sarcastic priest in the world. Yeah. And they said to him, no, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> No Irish accent impersonations on no, this podcast. No, it never turns out well, does no, it? No, no. I can't do accents anyway. I'm rubbish accents. No, no, you're pretty good at your accent. Yeah, yeah. So I always found when, as a, a speaker at conferences, I remember getting some feedback that people couldn't understand my accent. I think I have quite a neutral accent, but... Well, I wouldn't go so far as neutral, but you, you definitely have a definite accent. Yeah. But it's not, it doesn't obscure your words. No, no. I just found that really strange. Yeah. But anyway, but I, I wasn't trying to do an Irish accent while I was talking. No. no. <laughs> I'm really that, happy to hear that. Yeah, that would have been really terrible. It really would have been terrible. Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose at some point we ought to bring ourselves to the topic of things. Yes, let's talk about two things. So, I think that... Who goes first this week? Well, I think it's got to be you. Okay. It's monopolising the airwaves monopolizing time. Monopolising the airwaves time. Right. Are you ready for a lengthy monologue about the thing that I want to talk about? Use your powers only for good. Yeah. So my thing is that Twitter had planned to start to deactivate a load of old usernames and accounts. Oh. Which really piqued my interest from a very selfish point of view at first, because I want the at ash winter twitter handle and when i look at the at ash winter twitter handle <laughs> it's not done a great deal without wishing to be too judgmental i'm not quite sure what you know what value it's added to the world well it has two very important pithy comments in it <laughs> i do enjoy a pithy comment and and i think the first comment is insulting a footballer by yeah. calling them something yeah which is actually quite a common usage for twitter apparently yes um so it's not out of the ordinary what Ash Winter has, has used their Twitter account. No, for. no. But I feel like, as a person who um, contributes often to the technology community, I would quite like that. Yeah, not, but, un, not unreasonably. No, no. But then, once I started looking into this, it actually led down um, a slightly deeper rabbit hole, as most, <laughs> most, of, most of our things tend to do, to be they fair. They do. And it started to talk about, well, what happens if that Twitter account that hasn't been used for the past five years or whatever the policy is, is someone who's died or someone who's some kind of legacy in some kind of way, mm. which made me think. So obviously from a selfish point of view, I would like a, a new Twitter handle, which is my name. But what happens if those two pithy comments, are, you know, all that's left of that particular person um, in terms of their digital legacy. So that kind of, it piqued my interest. It really did. I think, it's very interesting and you do kind of there is some balance to be struck isn't there because you could you don't want twitter to delete your loved ones yeah account just out of the blue because really you that might be a significant i mean some people use twitter a lot that might be a significant repository mm. of their thoughts and yeah, things that they've yeah absolutely done in their their lives but i mean equally i i'm not sure the particular instance of the at ash winter twitter account has that same kind of value. Yeah. Maybe they were cut off at the start of a brilliant and glittering Twitter career by some tragic incident that happened in 2009 immediately after they posted that yeah. whatever his name is was a something or other. <laughs> so <laughs> I've just indicated my entire understanding of football in that, <laughs> in that statement. 
it seems less perhaps valuable than some other some other things yeah yeah and it it really got me thinking about when these various social media sites applications were being created did we really think about like the ramifications going forward of of storing this amount of data and it becoming literally like a memorial to someone like that's quite a profound change in the world isn't it because essentially you've, you've captured a lot of their like essence if you like it digitally it is it really is and actually it it kind of shows how things have changed because it's like photographs i imagine an archaeologist in a three thousand yeah. years time looking back at us and wondering what happened to the photographic record in around you know 2005 <laughs> or something and effectively we all stopped taking pictures that got printed yeah and they're all just digital now poor old polaroid yeah although i think they're um someone's bought the brand and they're still going in some way oh, right. but the number of printed pictures is is a fraction of, of what it was yeah. and people they express themselves in that digital way now so it really is a profound insight i mean clearly it must be of value because the companies collect it assiduously yeah but it's it's kind of telling that initially twitter initially they said well we're going to do this sort of purge if you like of of inactive account but it it seemed to be delivered in a fairly matter-of-fact sort of way which it's just seeing data as data yeah it's just kind of you know it's just tables and blob storage or, or whatever it is. We're going to write some scripts to do some housekeeping. Yeah, yeah. And I've certainly, over, over the course of my career, I've been part of teams that have built like archiving services and all of them are very matter-of-fact and they don't think about the story of that data. Mm. And the thing is with data around social media is that it's a very rich story as well. Yeah. Because it's, it has a timeline. It represents, like to a certain extent, events in the real world or certainly mirrors them depending on how much you post and what you post about and then it has like it's like multivariate it has the actual content as in the words and then the time and then images and videos and it's like well actually this is one of the richest records of people's lives that have ever been created yeah and i guess it extends to quote unquote ordinary people's lives yeah and you know history records the actions and the lives of people of particular significance yeah. and i suppose what we've got here is a, is a history that's altogether different in scale yeah. and potentially importance yeah yeah because it's like now lots of lives get examined in a you know and you can examine a lot of lives in quite a deep way can't you yeah if you've got you know if you, if you if you aggregate like if someone's active on facebook and instagram and twitter and various other places that that is a highly examined life and a very very public one as well. So just to say, well, I know we're going to we're going to archive these away um, and let someone else have the handle. It's quite a it's quite a big thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, and it looks like they've backed off from it a bit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Which is probably the sensible thing to do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've realised it's not a technical yeah. thing they're doing, and they've realised actually. I suspect that as well as not being a just a purely technical thing, there's a kind of next level of well, they're taking up all these usernames that other people want. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's the case w- with your, uh, you know, the at Ash Winter yeah. username. Um, and that's the sort of, sort of level of, that's why they publicised, I guess, what they were doing, because they were sort of saying, look, we're going to free up all these these usernames. And then and now they've kind of realised, well, actually, there's this rich legacy and we have to, in, yeah. in, in some places anyway, and we have to figure out a way of, of doing this in a way that has, I guess, the least harm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So how would you like your 
your digital legacy to be preserved? So really, that's an interesting question because I, when I have or see little scraps of writing that come from, you know, my grandparents yeah. who died quite a long time ago now, um, I, that has huge value to me. Yeah. Just seeing their, I don't know, their handwriting or a picture of them or something like that. So I suppose I want my my children, the, the next generation, to be able to to have access to things that I've written down and thought, yeah. or maybe even recorded on a yeah yeah this, on a podcast. This podcast is a is a is an example as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I would like that, but on the other hand, there's a sort of balance there, isn't there? Because do I want them to see everything I've ever written on a social media account? I'd probably be embarrassed by some of it. <laughs> I mean, if you think, I mean, I've been on Twitter since 2007. Yeah. So that's 12 years of tweets. I mean, I haven't tweeted nearly as much as, as some people I know, yeah. but 12 years of tweets is still a lot. Yeah. Thousands and thousands. And I'm sure some of them I will have tweeted when I was angry or maybe even uh, drunk or something like that, where I would oh, think. Oh, that one. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> you kind of think, I want my whatever digital legacy I have to show me in a good light. So maybe, maybe it's not everything. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose there's also that as well, isn't there? Because my Twitter account, for example, I tweet about articles that I've written, podcasts that I've been on, talks that I've given, talks that I'm attending. I don't really post about like personal, you know, talk about my my life, if you know what I mean. Mm. Just that aspect. So it's a very it's a very incomplete. It's a, it's an incomplete view of me. Is my social media because I don't have Facebook and I, and I barely log into Instagram. So it's it depends how you use it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because, I mean, I guess you're getting into being a work persona and a, yeah. and a, and a rest of your life persona. Yeah. This is full of depth, this topic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Which is so why I got really interested in it. Because, I guess my other question was, so if you go, say if you, if Ian, you went and became a monk and lived in a monastery, which I know is one of your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um. As long and, as it's got good broadband. Oh, yeah. wait, no, I'm about to destroy <laughs> this analogy. Go on. And if you, say if you suddenly, so would that uh, became, went to a monastery and became a, you know, essentially, beca- is that a digital death, do you think, if you suddenly rejected technology? Well, I suppose that depends what does a digital death mean. Yeah. I mean, somebody who's surveilling the the digital record would see it as such, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose that then you're getting into what's the benefit of a recorded life. Yeah. If I were to um, retire to a um, a monastery on an island with no mobile signal and no broadband. Sounds um, amazing. Then I would clearly have lost my mind. But if I were to retire to, <laughs> I that, found it. to, yeah, to that island, maybe I would learn a tremendous amount about myself. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I would have tremendous insights that the world needed to hear. <laughs> But they would never know because I would have discarded my my digital shell and uh, walked off into the brave unknown future until they found your your notebooks afterwards. Yes, three thousand years later, scratching on the walls like yeah. in the Tower of London in the jail been... in the cells in the Tower <laughs> of London, all the graffiti of various prisoners carved into rock. Yeah, permanent. So okay, so let's flip it round a bit. So if if you if you died. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I I don't think you need to, the if. I think at some point I'm going to die. <laughs> Unless the singularity happens and I get uploaded to a bloody server farm. But, you know, oh, God. I have very little. 
<laughs> that, that's a rabbit hole as well. Yeah. I feel as though I would need to see IT security being solved much more fundamentally <laughs> before I would let someone make a digital copy of my brain that could then be uh, made illicitly further copied by criminals and made to work in a spam email producing oh, virtual that, sweatshop. That just sounds amazing, doesn't it? Well, it, it sounds like the original non-copied version of me might not even know and there would be, be something else which would be just as much me being tortured into writing crappy emails i just think we need to we need to know that's not going to be able to happen before mm. it makes anyway sorry i'm just going off on one um that's all right <laughs> um so if if you were to unfortunately pass away which as you say inevitably will happen and also you have a a three-letter twitter handle as well which is quite desirable i would imagine um, I could tell you some reasons why it's undesirable well, if you want. Yes, but we'll <laughs> let the we'll let the listener uh, delve into those for themselves. <laughs> but a three-letter Twitter handle is quite desirable. So if you were to uh, if you were to die, and then five years later they uh, put your Twitter handle up for up for auction, how would you feel? I'd feel better if my remaining family members and the beneficiaries of whatever will I might make were receiving the money from the auction. <laughs> I see. So you've gone, you've gone full capitalist there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, you, you're right. I mean, it is. It, I suppose in terms of in real estate terms, to use a, the Americanism, yeah, it's it is desirable. Tw- desirable Twitter handle. Um, yeah. So I'd feel slightly annoyed at Twitter for doing that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you can make a social media will, and there's a place called. Oh, the Digital Legacy Association, oh. which is really interesting as well to read about yeah. because they take this very, very seriously because they kind of recognize the the profound nature of some of the data that you leave behind. So it's definitely worth a read. So in my social media will, uh, I'm going to leave a request to insult a footballer from the at Ash Winter <laughs> Twitter handle that I'm going to have and then close it down. So the circle will be complete. Yeah, I think... Uh... Really, what else can you do? You no, know? absolutely. I can't. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> because like I say that is the most common use case for Twitter: find someone who's famous, insult them, and then d- don't go back on the platform for well, years it, and years and years. I suppose it's a way to uh, um, basically avoid any possibility of a comeback from them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jokes on you. I'm dead, sucker. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was deep. That that was pretty deep. But that was my thing. What a great thing. Thank you, Ash. <laughs> no worries. So should we move on to thing two? There's a thing two. Ian, what's your thing? Two. My thing as well. So my thing is a book. So a few episodes ago, in we can now say that because we've made some Yay. few episodes. In episode two, we talked about team topologies. Yes, we did. Um, great and, book. And it was your, your thing for my that thing. episode. Yeah. So my thing for this episode is an, another book um, from the same publisher. We're not sponsored by that publisher. We're not sponsored by that but publisher. But if they want to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> We've given our contact details several times over the course of this podcast, and we will reiterate them again at the end. All sponsorship money, gratefully received, especially if that means I can buy new technology to improve the podcast. Seriously, don't let me do that. Um, so the book that I'm talking about is a brand new out i think on the 26th of november yep and it's called the unicorn project ah. and it is a novel about digital disruption red shirts and overthrowing the ancient powerful order oh 
Sounds intriguing. Have you read The Phoenix Project, Ash? I have read The Phoenix Project. So that was a novel about IT, DevOps, and helping your business win. Oh. And The Unicorn Project, I, I'd like to say it's a sequel to The Phoenix Project, but it isn't really because it happens at the same time, just from the perspective of a different bunch of people oh. in the same company. And so The Phoenix Project came from an ops perspective. Yeah. And the Unicorn Project comes from a development perspective, which is obviously a slightly different kind of em- emphasis, but it's the same situation just mm. seen by different people. And uh, a lot of the same characters are in it as we're in the Phoenix Project. And I think the Phoenix Project might be my one of my number, well, one of my number one. <laughs> no, one of okay. my number one books. <laughs> let, me, uh, let, me, let me backpedal. Oh, that's that. amazing. The Phoenix Project is a book I've recommended to a lot of people. <laughs> And the reason I recommend it so much is that it really well articulates some quite counterintuitive things about the best way to, to yeah, do things. Yeah. And things like um, whip limits, uh, limits on how many things it's okay to be doing at the same time. Um, that seems like a quite unintuitive thing to limit, but actually it's quite profoundly powerful to, yeah. do, it, to do it. So I, I love the Phoenix Project because it expresses a lot of those things really clearly. So I'm really, was really excited when I heard yeah. that the sequel was coming yeah. out. Yeah, because the Phoenix Project was a number of counterintuitive concepts, like you say, but also it was familiar enough, it had enough, enough sort of pathos in it to say, to appeal to people and people would, would see themselves and their companies in it, which I think is really important as well. Yeah. And it's, and it's a non-textbook way of, ex, of expressing those concepts, which is probably has a chance at wider engagement, I think. Yeah, agreed. And everyone who's been in some kind of terrible IT death march of a project will rec- will recognise it. I've never been in one of those. No, no, nor have I. But, you know, I've heard that some people have. <laughs> yeah, so in the Phoenix Project, they talked about the three ways, which was really about DevOps. And uh, it was system thinking and feedback loops and continuous experimentation and learning. Yeah. And in the course of discussing that, they, they outlined the four types of work. Right. Um, which was business projects and IT operations projects and then changes and then the one that we all love, unplanned work. Yeah. So having got three of something and then four of something, the unicorn project is topping the bill (laughs) by having the five ideals. And whenever I hear the three things and the four things and the five things, it always Mm. reminds me of that Monty Python sketch (laughs) (laughs) about, um, yeah, anyway, without going there. Um, So... The five ideals are about delivering software. Yeah. And I guess the thing to do might be if I just read out to you what they are, then sure. we can maybe drill into a couple yeah, well, of them. Yeah, we can pick a couple. So the first ideal is locality and simplicity, which is about having loosely coupled architectures, but also uh, not requiring endless collaboration between teams in order okay. to get anything done, which yeah. is kind of what we talked about when we were talking about team topology. Yeah, absolutely. That cognitive load. Yeah. Concepts. Exactly. And the second ideal was focus, flow, and joy, which I really become attuned to that word joy because of Marie Kondo and her uh, house decluttering usage of of it. So her thing is that if you have a thing in your house and it doesn't spark joy, then you should get rid of it. And I think that's a, a really good way of doing that. But the second ideal is focus, flow, and joy. So are you focused on a business yeah. problem? Are you being able to deliver value and make the world better? And are you having fun? So the third ideal is improvement of daily work. And that kind of was also present very strongly in the Phoenix Project. 
the really strong message of, of this book is saying that improving daily work is actually a higher priority activity than doing daily work. Yeah. So and again, that's quite counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can think of a few people who would look at me like I was insane for saying that. But actually, if you look back through the history of IT, there's quite a lot of stuff around that. So, yeah. you know, the famous Bill Gates trustworthy computing memo yeah. where he said um, he insisted that programmers at Microsoft, if they have a choice between implementing a feature or improving security, they must improve security. Yeah. And the opposite of, of that is being obsessed with process compliance and doing things the way we've always done them. Because that's best. <laughs> yes. That's how he got into this mess. Um, <laughs> we'll just do more of that, but harder. <laughs> yeah. I'll dig this hole deeper. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll see if that made it easier to yeah. get out. <laughs> so the fourth ideal is psychological safety. And there's a really interesting Google report, actually, that they that gets cited, which is to say that Google did an analysis of their high-performing teams and found that psychological safety was the most important of the five things they looked at in high-performing teams. and and again, if people don't feel safe to express concerns or try new things, then, you know, that really impairs how well the team can do. So yeah. I thought that was a really good one. And then the fifth ideal was customer focus. And they talked a lot about dividing activities into core activities and context activities. That's a, obviously a particular use of the word context. Yeah. You don't want to get muddled up with uh, other uses of yeah that term but core is basically stuff that your customers are paying you for the stuff that creates real value for them and the context is everything else yeah in the fifth ideal there's a lot of talking about what stuff are you doing that isn't really helping your customers yeah and do you really need to do that like filling in your timesheets um yeah <laughs> i guess that helps your organization uh, build money but other than that yeah it, you know is it an activity that customers see as valuable totally absolutely not no so uh, i don't do it <laughs> do you find it very easy to get paid no. when you don't do it <laughs> that might be core for you <laughs> well i guess that is uh that's probably the consideration there right yeah i think it yeah it is. yeah so what grabs you out of that lot so i think the first thing would probably be uh the use of the word joy oh yes because i think often we see work as as drudgery and and we think that soldiering on through something that we dislike intensely is some kind of badge of honour and it just needs <laughs> to be done. Early in my career, certain people would say to me, and I would always find it really strange, you haven't been on a really terrible project yet. <laughs> so, you, you know, I was early in my career, I'd be doing what I thought was great work and delivering uh, loads of value. But when it came to like promotion and pay rise, it's like, well, you haven't been on a really terrible one yet. Oh. You haven't shown your, your worth. You haven't, you know, battled through the, the drudgery and the horror of a, terrible project so that that one always really really like got to me yeah and i i like to see the the use of the word joy and enjoying your work because i think we value the opposite of that sometimes yeah there's a he quotes like um we're not paying you to have fun yeah if you yeah. want to have fun do it on your own time yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely i've heard that before yeah i have yeah and why is there so much laughter going on here so like, well because we're having a good time oh you mean you, mean, you don't mean here in this room now. Not in this room now, no. but in general. So yeah, I think it's really important to use the word joy and to allow ourselves to use such words too. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I do like the Marie Kondo thing. Yeah. Of does, does a thing spark joy? And if it doesn't, is there a place for it? Yeah. And I think it says focus, flow and joy 
on purpose there, right? Yeah. Because all three are, are fairly well related. They almost lead to one another, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, because focus can lead to, to having flow and being able to sort of work in that kind of magic way where you no longer get the passage of time and you're just really focused on what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a really great feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know when you're in it because it's quite, actually quite rare. Yeah. Um, Normally you have to stop and go to a meeting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think a lot of workplaces are kind of conducive to helping you get to that state either, which is kind of sad really as well, isn't it? Because you would hope that you would be able to feel that on a, on a very regular basis, but it doesn't seem to be the way. And I guess it ties into that third ideal as well of the improvement of daily work. Yeah. Because actually what you really want is for your organisation to continuously improve the way that things are done. Yeah. Until you can actually have that focus and flow. Yeah. So that you're not being interrupted to go to meetings or not being interrupted by things that aren't your core mission of adding value to yeah to your end users and your customers. And then I think that if nothing is getting in the way of that and you are being super productive i think that does lead to joy you do yeah. you do feel good about yourself yeah and what you're doing yeah absolutely i think in organizations where you don't spend much time on on continuous improvement i think that's probably one of the the sort of chief thieves of joy isn't it yeah you know it's just like well you really struggle and then your brain starts to think well is there any point yeah which is a really dangerous place to get to isn't it it really is, yeah. yeah. I, I, find, I always find that really interesting, with, especially with programming as well, because I've seen lots of people on Teams asking permission to like write tests, unit tests, for example. Asking permission? Yeah, saying, well, have we got time to do this? It's like, well, it's kind of part of what you do. Have we got time to not do it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as soon as someone says, well, you don't have time to do that, or you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't create something that you're that you would be proud of. And I think that's kind of a thief of joy as well. Yeah. And it starts to kind of sap away at it. Um, I think as long as it's, again, it's kind of what's in context, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, a startup who's trying to validate an idea quickly, well, you could probably make certain compromises there. But if you've got a massively scaled system, which millions of people depend upon, then you need that engineering excellence and that level of, of joy, you know, the joy that that gives you and the focus on what you're trying to achieve. So I always find it interesting how much time organizations spend on continuous improvement as well. So I think in the, in the third ideal, does it say 20%? Gene Kim, who wrote the, he, he was one of the co-authors of the Phoenix Project, yeah. and he wrote um, the Unicorn Project. He did a talk at the Portland DevOps days about, about the book and the five ideals. Yeah. In that, he was saying that 20% of time should be spent on fixing things that need fixing. Yeah and on making on paying down technical debt yeah yeah so it's not to say it should never exist it's just to say you know you should have a focus on at least making an inroads into it rather than just leaving it to, to fester forever because a few places where i've worked we've suddenly embarked on a like a like a vast improvement project <laughs> when things have got so bad that everything's ground to a halt and then it's you need to stop feature development entirely in order to go and fix all that stuff, which is doesn't seem like a very sustainable flow of work, does it? No, and actually that's exactly what happens in the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project, yeah. because they're on the same timeline. But they, they have a, 
a month where they stop feature development yeah. and just work on improving how they work yeah. on paying down technical debt and that's what enables the whole positive sort of outcomes in the book anyway, yeah. that, that, that take place yeah because in the devops handbook i think they talk about an example from linkedin which is very similar yeah essentially they you know they built a platform for thousands and then suddenly it had millions but then after a while they just spent all their time fighting the fires and just trying to crank the handle of the thing that they had and in the end they just had to stop and essentially rebuild the entire system on a different architecture and then they had to have very difficult conversations with their product people in order to make that happen because they were like well we're growing at such an exponential rate and we need these features but it's not we're growing at such an exponential rate that we're not going to have a platform soon it's just going to melt so we need to do something about this so that was really interesting as well so it does happen at big companies in the real world as well well i mean the the argument in the book is that uh, basically all of those companies the what they call them the fang companies it's facebook amazon netflix and google and maybe other ones yeah linkedin fangled <laughs> newfangled newfangled in the book he talks about those all of those companies it adds microsoft actually as well to the list yeah had near-death experiences yeah because of technical debt and and he also talks about he uses the example of nokia which is a company which actually died from it technical had an, debt. Had an actual death experience yeah and symbian which was the sort of yeah. uh, their platform took two days to do a build yeah and nobody could move off it because the top executives kept shooting it down. Yeah. And, and, you know, that went on to not end well. So when you look at all the near-death experiences and then the actual death experiences that are really to do with how you deal with technical debt, yeah. it's quite sobering. It's not something that you, you can just kind of gloss over, really. No. And it just always feels like a, a hard sell to yeah. either um, an individual team who... You know, are under pressure to to deliver a thing, and therefore they start like cutting corners, but with no plan to pay it back later. Yeah. Or to a you know an executive or product person who who wants something but doesn't really take into account the the like the implicit requirements as well. Everybody wants nobody says it, but they want reliability and they want uptime. Yeah. But they also want the feature. But the feature is the thing that gets written down and built, and then somehow we have to make sure that it's reliable and has um you know error handling like your alexa skill <laughs> all those uh, types of practices as well so it's like well how do you do that how do you get that reliability and uptime and all the good stuff while in a in a feature factory type scenario i don't think it's with a you know 100 percent focus on features well i guess all i can say is that our listeners should read the phoenix project mm. and the unicorn project yep. because those books together are a story of exactly that. Yeah, and um, the goal as well. And the goal, oh, well, the goal, yeah. Hmm. Do you want to describe what the goal is? Describe what the goal is. So um, I really like the goal, but I mainly liked it because I wanted to know what happened to the, uh, to the main sort of protagonist <laughs> and, and his wife at the end to make sure that they had a happy ending. But essentially, it's about turning around a manufacturing plant by focusing on the entire system and where the bottlenecks were and solving them rather than locally optimizing in individual areas and hoping that everything's going to be okay. So it's basically the Phoenix Project for factory. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the Phoenix Project had a factory in it. Yeah, that's true. It was a bit of a homage, wasn't it, I think? I think it was. Yeah. So there's a limit to how much we can talk about this. But yeah, in, in, there's loads of other good thing. stuff in there as well, isn't there? There absolutely is. Um, 
but I thoroughly recommend if you haven't read The Phoenix Project, then read The Phoenix Project. <laughs> and then once you've read that, you can move on to The Unicorn Project. And then you'll have three ways, four types of work, and five ideals. Two books, three ways, uh, oh, four types of oh, work. Yeah. <laughs> two books. One Gene Kim. <laughs> two books. It's almost like an alternative uh, 12 Days of Christmas song. Yeah. Well, maybe we can release that. Make make our millions. <laughs> <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> cool. Okay. Thank you, Ian. That was a great thing. Well, thank you. I have enjoyed recording this episode. Me too. That, that sounded really insincere, it didn't did. it? It did. I like that. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> can we do it again? <laughs> well, if, if it recorded. If it recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's an hour and seven minutes of us talking to dead microphones <laughs> if you love the phoenix project or or the unicorn project or have thought about your digital death then you should get in touch with us and tell us your story so how can they get in touch ian well you could tweet to us at what a lot of thing only one thing only one thing or you could email us what a lot of things at gmail.com and you can leave us a voice recording message Yes, um, there's, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, no one ever has. No, um, but the functionality definitely exists on our podcast homepage at Anchor.fm, which is Anchor.fm/slash What a Lot of Things, and it should be in the show notes as well. There's yeah. a link in the show notes, and you can follow us on Instagram, where we occasionally post hilarious pictures. Maybe what we should do is record a video of us making the clanger sound. Okay. And then we can put that on. Okay. Uh, if the world is ready for that type, of, ready for type of thing. Those sorts of hijinks. It's likely that we're going to skip an episode over Christmas. It's Christmas. So that we can enjoy our Christmas festivities, unencumbered with the dread associated with uh, <laughs> trying to edit the sound of our voices going on about <laughs> various things. And everyone needs a couple of weeks off from perfectionism. <laughs> every year <laughs> this will be mine i expect ian just to work on this for two weeks now no, i'll be rebasing all my uh, <laughs> all my git commit <laughs> yes so what that really means is that our next episode will be coming out don't say a date don't say a date because that's the kind no of one says that. so at the moment <laughs> this episode is going to come out on the 10th and then we're not going to release an episode on the 24th <laughs> Spend some time with your families, for goodness sake. And we will release our next episode, therefore, on the 7th of January. Could it just be beard noise? <laughs> it could just be beard noise. I'm not sure if anyone would thank us for that. No, maybe not. Is that, is that an insufficient gap? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see. Just don't put that in the pod. Don't, don't mention dates. I'm still really paranoid about dates and estimates. We need to talk about estimates as well, don't we? Yeah, we do. So we can get to the bottom of my rampaging paranoia about saying when something will be done. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm paranoid about when, when, when people say things will be done, what they mean is they're going to have done some programming. <laughs> and then everybody then turns around and looks at the testers to say, why are you holding everything up? Damn you, testers. Yeah, always getting in the way. No fun. Cool. Okay. Well, All thank right. you very much, Ian. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Yes, always. You more fan mail, please. More fan mail, yes. Stoke the ego. Yes. And uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes and yes. 
I was about to demand that Mary sends us a second <laughs> fan message, but that seems a bit harsh. Yeah, yeah. She should be able to do that spontaneously yes. when the spirit moves her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With <laughs> her own free will. So if we don't get some spontaneous expected, fan mail, then we'll be coming around your house. <laughs> live in the whole of Lancashire. We know where you live because of... Not, no, not Mary, just oh, everyone. Right. We'll, oh, we'll okay. pick someone and punish them. <laughs> That's not what we're about. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> Certain. Okay, we can skip that bit. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Have a good Christmas. You too. See you in the new year. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> you always do that. <laughs> Not going to do that anymore.